Napoleon, the, um, the famous conqueror and uh, man who, who just went and expanded empires, he once pointed at the map of China and he said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it will be unstoppable. The church, if she ever wakes up, will be unstoppable. This morning, listen, this morning in Southern Baptist churches alone, so so not even taking into consideration all Christians that are gathered in a local church this morning, but Southern Baptist alone, There are millions of Southern Baptists gathering this morning in local churches. And if the millions, millions of Southern Baptists ever woke up and chose to go on mission, no one could stop us. Nothing could stop us. What cause or what need could stand against millions of individual believers who have united together to serve and minister to meet needs? In Acts chapter 2, that's the passage for this morning, we see the New Testament church. The New Testament church is formed, and we'll talk more about their formulation in a moment, but in this particular passage, Bible scholars have noted that we see the five pillars of the local church, or the five essential characteristics of a local New Testament church, a vibrant, growing church. And one of those characteristics, the characteristic that we're going to study today is ministry, how the local church comes together and they do ministry, how they meet needs. And I want to share with you this morning from this particular passage of scripture, I want to share with you three choices that we make if we are going to minister or three choices that are necessary in order to do ministry. Now, before we jump into this particular message, I want us to read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And after we read this passage, I want us to join together, if you would, praying with me for the message, and then we'll jump into these three particular choices. And God's word says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44 and 45 are going to be our verses of particular study this morning, so note these. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we ask for your help in receiving this word. Lord, as you stirred months ago for this message to be preached on this Sunday, we believe, God, that you are working again through your word. And so, Lord, we ask, Father, that you would allow me Lord, to, by your grace and mercy, faithfully present your word and that you would allow us, Lord, through faith given to us, through your son, Jesus Christ, and the working of your Holy Spirit to receive that word and to obey as it calls us to action. So Lord, here is our prayer. Help us now in Jesus' name, amen. 
Here are three choices that must be made because of ministry. Ministry is, number one, choosing to follow Jesus Christ. So again, the main point here of this message is that we would be ministers and that we would choose every single day to do ministry. And the reason is because ministry is choosing to follow Jesus Christ. Look with me at Acts chapter 2 verse 44. Again, we have the pillar of the, the pillars of the local church being defined for us. And in verse 44, it says, and all who believed, all who believed. Now, the prerequisite of their serving was believing. In other words, before they started serving, they believed. Let me give you a little context here. And this will make a world of difference for you and for me and for our understanding of what it means to do ministry. The context is this, that Jesus Christ, at the end of the Gospels, he is crucified. Do you know this story? He's crucified for our sins. He's buried in a borrowed grave. And then three days later, the scripture tells us that he was resurrected from the grave. Have you heard this? Good. If you haven't heard it, and you're wondering what everyone's chuckling about, come and see me after the service. I can't wait to tell you. So Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave. He is now w walking around with his disciples and his church. In Acts chapter one, the first chapter of this particular book, Jesus, just before ascending, he says, my spirit's going to come on you and he's going to give you power and that power will, uh, will manifest itself in your life and you will be my witnesses with that power in you. And then he says, just sit and wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and then you'll know what to do. And then Jesus ascends up into heaven and you'll never guess what they did. They had a business meeting. Like Jesus said, just sit and wait. Like all you have to do is just wait. And they organize a committee and we think this is where the Baptist church started, right? Like all you have to do is just sit there and wait. So what do they do? They have a business meeting, they organize a committee because they have to replace Judas and they think we're gonna do this to help God out. And, and I can imagine Jesus is ascending. He's like, ah, oh, these people. Like, really? So eventually they elect a person to take Judas's place as one of the 12 apostles. And then they finally get to doing what Jesus told them to do all along. And they're sitting and they're waiting. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends. He fills all of the believers. Peter stands and he preaches the first sermon under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit after the resurrection. 3,000 people get saved. 3,000 people get saved. And those men say this, now what do we do? And the apostles in response say, repent and be baptized. They believe, they repent, turning away from their sins and turning to Jesus Christ. And then they're baptized. And the scripture tells us in Acts chapter two, verse 44, that those who had believed then did ministry. Now note this, they didn't do ministry to get saved, they got saved and then they did ministry. They were following Jesus Christ and where Jesus Christ went and what Jesus Christ did was ministry. You do not, in the world of the kingdom of God, you don't work your way to Jesus Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ and as a response of that belief, then you get to serve. And so if you're going to do ministry, you must choose to follow Jesus Christ. You 
must give your life to Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are choosing to minister. Now let me bring it home. If you say you follow Jesus Christ, but you are not ministering, I must ask you, who are you following? Because it can't be Jesus. If you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you say, I've chosen to follow Jesus Christ, but you're not serving and doing ministry, who are you following? Because it cannot be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. And let me tell you, my ministry is not to condemn you for what you haven't done. My ministry is to call you and to walk beside you to the place where Jesus wants you. And so that's what I'm here for as a pastor. This is what our ministers are here for, is to walk you to the place where you are doing ministry the way that you're called to do ministry because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But you must recognize that ministry is first choosing to follow Jesus. Here's a second point. Ministry is choosing to participate together. So it's you individually choosing to do ministry because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is, it is us as individuals coming together collectively to participate in ministry cooperatively. Now look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, and I want you to just take note of how many collective, plural, cooperative words are in these two simple verses. Reading Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all, well, there's a good one. Not and each, but and all. They collectively, all. And all who believed were together. Together, meaning not individual, but united, coming together, cause-oriented, united. And all were together and had all things in common. So they all had everything in common. They were not individuals, but they are working as a collective unified unit. And they, not he or she, but they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. So what we need to take away is that Ministry is choosing to participate together. It is choosing to jump in and get your hands dirty. It is choosing to be a part of a ministry that is bigger than one individual. Here's a statement that you should write down, hold to, practice. Every member, every member is a minister in the ministry. Every member. Now that means that you and I individually have a place within the church's ministry and no one else can take our place. So if you're not showing up and participating in ministry, we have a spot that is not filled and someone needs you here. I need you here. We need you here. Because no one else can take your place. We need participants, not spectators. 
We need people who understand that their calling is not to come and sit and see, but their calling is is to come and participate in the ongoing work and ministry of the church. You see, ministry is about choosing to participate together. It's about coming to be a part of a collective body of individual Christ followers who have set themselves to reach the lost and to raise up the saved and to continue until Jesus Christ comes back or we've reached everyone there is to reach. And the last time I checked, Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet, and we haven't reached everyone there is to reach, which means that we still need everyone coming together to minister and participate. We need everybody. We need you. A West Coast pastor says, we teach that every Christian is created for ministry, saved for ministry, called into ministry, gifted for ministry, authorized for ministry, commanded to minister, to be prepared for ministry, needed for ministry, and accountable for ministry, and will be rewarded accordingly to his or her ministry. In other words, you are called to ministry. You were called to minister. If you have a bulletin on the back of it, uh, we have usually sermon notes and then a place where you can put sermon notes and then at the bottom we'll have our ministers listed. The truth be told, every single member of our church should have their name listed in that section. Because every single one of you, when you join the church, you are saying, I'm going to be a dependable part of this ministry. So you say, well, well, how do I get plugged in? Nobody's asked me to serve. A few years ago, I had a Sunday off. And uh, I wasn't preaching that Sunday. And so I had an opportunity to participate as a worshiper in the worship service. And so I was in a town, not Paducah, Kentucky. Before I get into this story, let me just assure you, it was not the city. Because I'm going to tell this story and some of y'all are going to be thinking, I wonder which church that was. So I, I was... Uh, I was in another city and I was going to visit some churches and because I didn't have to preach that day, I wanted to attend as many worship services as I could. I mean, I don't get this opportunity very often. So I looked up all, uh, as many churches in the area as I could and I scheduled the churches that had multiple services. I scheduled their services so, so I could stack them and I could attend three different churches in one Sunday morning. That sounds exciting, right? It was, it was, it was. So listen, I scheduled these and then I set off really early one morning and I went to a church and then I went to another church and then another church. One of the churches that I went to, listen to this, one of the churches that I went to, it was a traditional sanctuary. I mean, very traditional, three sections, two rows. And I got there a little early and I walked in and when I went through the foyer of the church, there were a couple of ushers there with bulletins as was the practice in most churches. And one of them handed me a bulletin and I kid you not, somehow he handed me a bulletin without ever acknowledging that I was alive. I mean, he never looked up or took a break from his conversation. He just handed me the bulletin and I just grabbed it and thought, good to see you too. And I'm a guest, like I'm, I'm not a regular here. And I walk in, take the bulletin, I walk in, I come down the aisle and I take what I believe are the best seats in the church. Now you're gonna disagree with me and you're entitled to be wrong. The best seats are in the center section, like three, four rows back. Now, keep your mouths shut. I know some of you are like, back row's the best. It's not true. Three or four rows back. I come and I sit down, and I'm looking through the bulletin, and after a while, folks apparently getting out of Sunday school, they begin making their way in. 
Um, this one couple comes in, they look at me. I think they're getting ready to talk to me. No one's spoken to me yet. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. I'm getting ready to talk to them. And they sit down in front of me, but don't say anything. And I'm like, okay. Uh, so maybe they're, maybe they're guests too. I don't know. So then another couple comes in and they look at me and I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're going to talk to me because no one's spoken to. I've walked into this church and no one has spoken a word to me. And they sit behind me. Now, in my opinion, I'm not an awful looking person. Like I, I, don't come, I don't think in my mind, I don't come across as someone that, that just looks mean and, and unapproachable. Like maybe I have some bad qualities, but, but I don't think that I'm the type of person where you look at them, you're like, I probably ought to go a different way. But that's the way I felt like I was being treated. And so just before the service started, just before the service started, um, the, the couple that was sitting in front of me, the lady turned around and I'm thinking, all right, she's about to talk to me. Like this is on my mind at this point. She's gonna talk to me. She turned around and then she looked around me to the lady that was sitting behind me and this is what she said. I guess we'll sit up here today. my mind, I'm thinking, yes, and you'll still be sitting there after Jesus comes back. <laughs> Let me make a statement really quick. And I know that's funny, but let me, let me make a quick, serious statement, then I'm going to get to the point. That should never happen in this church. Ever happen in this church. The... That should, listen, I want to love you. I want to be loved by you. But if we ever come across that happening within this church, I feel like it is my God-ordained responsibility to call someone to the pastor's office and have a very firm talk to them. We can't have that. And let me tell you why. Because there are people that are coming to this church for the very first time who need someone to talk to them. And secondly, once upon a time, you were new to this church. So I'm telling this story about how I went in this church. And someone eventually later in the service did speak to me. I'm telling this story about uh, this experience. And, and it's, I mean, that's wild, right? She did that. They never talked to me. I'm telling this story to, to a guy. And I said, no one talked to me the whole time. And you know what he said? Brother Scott, who did you talk to? I was complaining and just moaning about how no one engaged me in conversation when all the while I never spoke to anyone that whole time either. And I would say this to you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you must choose ministry. And you might say, the reason I'm not serving is because no one has ever asked me to serve, to which I would say in response, who have you asked about serving? Who have you come up to and said, where can I be plugged in? What can I do? How can I invest in the ongoing kingdom work of Lone Oak First Baptist Church? Where do you need me? 
To minister means that we choose to participate together, that we all show up ready to be a minister within the ministry, not sitting back waiting for someone to tap us on the shoulder and say, here's a place for you here, there's a place for you there, but to show up with initiative and say, I'm going to get involved because this is my church and this is our ministry together. To be a minister is to choose to participate. And here's a third point. To do ministry is to choose to sacrifice in order to meet a need. It's choosing to sacrifice in order to meet a need. Now, looking at verses 44 and 45, there have been, uh, there have been the formulation of socio-political movements and organizations based on these passages. As a matter of fact, socialists and communists have at times used this particular passage of scripture to justify their regimes or their political order. But they're wrong. Let me show you this. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, the scripture says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Communism, we're going to have all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So communism, we're going to have all things in common and we're going to distribute. We're going to, uh, we're going to make the standard equal and um, we're going to be socialist. We're going to socially distribute the needs so that we can meet the needs. But the problem is twofold. Number one, that takes the passage out of context, and number two, those political systems never work. (laughs) Because both in communism and socialism, the people who have the needs that are supposedly being met often end up being the ones who remain vulnerable and exploited for what they already don't have. And I'm not trying to make a political speech, I'm just telling you that neither of those systems actually work. The context is this. The Jews had a custom, as they were uh, instructed to for many years, that every year at specific times, Jews, all that were possible, would make annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem for certain festivals and feasts. One of those we studied last week during the Christmas Eve service is the Passover, the the Feast of Passover, when the Jews would come together in Jerusalem and they would celebrate the Passover um, as one group of people. Fifty days later, there would be another feast on Pentecost. That's the event that we're at now in Acts chapter 2. The Jews would be there. Some of those that got saved during the first preaching by Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have been in Jerusalem without break for over 50 days. They've been away from home for over 50 days. Now, any of you doing holiday traveling, Christmas traveling, we traveled for eight days and we started running out of stuff after three of them. I mean, we're talking about needing to replenish on snacks and food. Let's not even talk about how dirty the clothes got after three days. Now, these Jewish uh, pilgrims were in Jerusalem, and they've been there for 50 days, if not more. And they have, understandably, they have some significant needs They need food, they need shelter, they haven't been home, so any of the money that they would have would have to have been carried because they don't have a debit card during this period of time. Shocker, right? You didn't know that. They didn't have debit cards. 
So any money they had, they had to physically carry with them and they ran out of their money because they didn't think, oh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to practice our Judaic temp, uh, tap, temple feast and then I'm going to get saved and then I'm going to need to stick around to find out what this newfound faith is about. So they didn't pack for this event. And so there are all of these people, remember, 3,000 that got saved. All of these people are still in Jerusalem and they have actual need. And so what are the people doing? They're saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to meet your need, even if that means sacrificing for your benefit. They are in effect selling their possessions and their belongings, sacrificing to give to these new Christians so that they can get on their feet again. And that's what ministering is about. Ministering is about pouring into those who need to understand what it means to be in the family of Christ so that they can then go from this place to that place to carry the, new, the news of Jesus Christ. That's what ministry is about. That's what they're doing. And in order for us to perform ministry, as the New Testament church is performing ministry, we must choose to sacrifice. And there's three. We've, we've heard them before. There are three areas where we must be ready to sacrifice. One is in our time, two is in our talents, and three is in our treasures. Our time, we should be sacrificing regularly our time to serve people. We talk about tithing financially, but do you tithe your time? Are you regularly committed to serving in the church? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a choice that you should have already made. And what about your talents? Are you using your natural equipping to serve other people and to do ministry? Are you using the areas of life that you enjoy most in order to perform ministry? My dad's a pastor and in Brandon, Mississippi, he had a group of, uh, he had a group of people that loved, listen to this, they loved the library sciences. I'm surprised there wasn't more of a, a, an awe effect there. There's a group of people that just loved being in libraries. They loved books. They loved ordering books. They loved organizing books. And so, so uh, whether it was my dad was directly responsible or not, he got this group of people together and he said, you know, you can use your talents for the kingdom of God. And they're like, how in the world would we use library interest for the kingdom of God? And you know what they did? They were talented. They didn't just have an interest in this area, but they were talented in this area. And so what they would do is they would start, they would travel around to different churches in the state of Mississippi and they would help pastors who typically are some of the most unorganized beings on the face of the earth. They would help pastors. I got an amen from that. Unbelievable. They would help pastors organize their personal libraries so that their study could be more structured and orderly. They would go into local churches and help churches organize their church libraries so that people could have access to all of these wonderful resources that many churches have just sitting by the wayside. They used their talents in a sacrificial way. They had to give up weeks of vacation to go and serve. And you know what? I think you should too. You should be willing to sacrifice your time in order to use your talents for the kingdom of God. We should sacrifice our treasures as well. Um, my son, Scott, he's, he's 10 years old. He's kind of at that age where he's starting to be invited by neighbors to do small little chores and tasks. And some of them are, are, are giving him like little, you know, little, little payments for doing these little, these little gifts. We had some neighbors that invited him to walk their dog. And he came home and he had a $10 bill. 
And I'm thinking, I want to walk somebody's dog, $10. (laughs) And so we were at a position, Carly and I were in a position where we could begin to teach him what it means to tithe. I mean, he earned that money and we we are not owners of the things that we have. We are stewards of the things the Lord has entrusted to us. And so we had an opportunity to teach our son what it means to tithe. And you know, on that point, I've realized that particularly my generation, uh, maybe we haven't been taught as well what it means to tithe. But to tithe means that you give back to the Lord what he's entrusted to you. And so our practice as a family is that we give at least 10% of whatever the Lord has entrusted to us. And then throughout the year, as mission opportunities come available, we give above and beyond or beyond the tithe to support those mission opportunities because that's what we believe the Bible instructs us to do. Is it required for salvation? No. Is it a natural outworking of salvation? Absolutely. So we were talking to him about tithe and I want to challenge you. If you're going to do ministry, one of the ways you can do ministry is by giving sacrificially to the ministry. We have the general fund that we continue to collect week after week and that is where you give to the Lord's work at Lone Oak First Baptist Church and say, I'm taking my hands off of it. I'm trusting that the Lord can do with this gift what he chooses to do. Another way to give is through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We're collecting that right now. One of the things I love about being a Southern Baptist is that our missionaries that we send to the field, they don't have to take breaks from serving on the field to come home to raise money. We say, if you will put your yes on the table and if you will go, we will support you 100%. And when you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, 100% of those proceeds go to the International Mission Board. We don't take a cut of that at all as a church. We send 100% of it on. I'll tell you another way that you can support sacrificially giving uh, to, to causes within the church is, to, is through the building program. It's, it is a remarkably exciting time to be a part of a church. The pastor search committee told me about this enormous building program that the church has. When they were um, first having conversations with us, they were like, we just need to be upfront about something. We are starting this enormous building program. We believe that God has called us to it. And you should just know what you're going to inherit because it's not an option of whether or not we're going to continue. God gave us this. He called us to it and we're going to do it. But you need to know it's a big one. And so I was not afraid at all. I was excited. I mean, like God is doing such an amazing work in this church's life that after only 50 or 60 years, these buildings have been worn out by the frequent visits of the saints and now they need to improve and expand the facility so they can raise up another generation to pass the torch to, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. And now we see that this phase zero is is not complete, but we're starting to get to the point where we need to think, what do we do next? Because we don't want to stop work and then have to start work again. And so now the building committee and staff and leaders in the church are thinking, what can we do not to take a, a pause from progress in the building program, but what can we do to make sure that we move seamlessly into the next step? And we know that we've got to raise some money and it's going to require sacrificial giving on behalf of all of the church. But I want to tell you this. I want to tell you as someone who is coming into this 
program and coming into the project after it's already started, I already believe in it. And I'm telling you that it is a worthwhile investment because there will be generations. Note this, not a generation. There will be generations who carry the gospel to the ends of the world because we have put together a facility where they can receive the ongoing weekly training in God's word to be equipped to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And it's your giving that's going to help get that done. And I want to be a part of that. And you should want to be a part of that. And we should do it sooner than later. But through your sacrificial giving, which we'll talk about more in the next months, and and we'll even explain what we think the plan is moving forward, you will be performing ministry by making sacrifices to give of your treasures and your time and your talents to the local church. Tonight, at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, Dr. Jeff Wallace is going to lead us in what is one of his annual practices of a review and a preview. Uh, Brother Jeff, as some of y'all know him, he is uh, responsible for a number of areas. He's on staff here, and he's in charge of a number of areas within our church, and one of those is global outreach, and so he leads the mission department and divisions of the church. And tonight, he's going to talk about celebrating what God has done through Lone Oak First Baptist Church over the past year, and he's going to begin to preview what's happening in the year to come. And I want to challenge you to be here at 6.30 tonight, and if you need a place to go If you feel convicted, I need to be serving and going, be here tonight and find out where you can go in 2024. But whatever you do, choose to minister. Choose to minister. Because ultimately, it's a choice that reflects whether or not we are following Jesus Christ, who is the chief minister. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And as we prepare for our invitation, and the invitation is an opportunity for you and for me and for us to respond in the way that the Lord has led us. Now, the kingdom of God, let me move us in this direction. The kingdom of God, the economy of the kingdom of God is a little bit different than the economy of the world. You see, in the kingdom of God, if we read the Bible, we learn a few things. Number one, we learn that the first will be last and the last will be first. It kind of flips it on its head. Because we think in the world, like, if I can just finish first, if I can just finish first, then, then, then I will be first. But in the kingdom of God, the first will be last, the last will be first. In the kingdom of God, the, the scripture tells us that the strong will be made weak and the weak will be made strong. Just flips it upside down. It also tells us that the way to save your life is to lose it. Specifically, he says to lay your life down. Now we're talking about making the choice to minister and how that is a choice that reflects that you are choosing to follow Jesus Christ. You're choosing to participate together with the other brothers and sisters within the church and you're choosing to sacrifice. But I want to tell you and make sure that we're very clear, the beginning point of ministry is laying your life down before Jesus Christ and receiving the free gift of salvation through him. It must begin there. And if you try to minister on the basis of anything else, you will discover that you're only going to lose your life. You're not going to gain it. 
the basis and foundation of our ministry, our serving, our giving, our sacrificing, our participating, our uniting, the basis of all of that is the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's where you must begin. And so during this invitation, if you have never received forgiveness of your sins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing together And when the time is right and the invitation is open, I want to invite you to come forward and take me by the hand or take one of the ministers that will be up front by the hand and let us explain to you what it means to be saved. But whatever you do, don't leave this church, don't leave this room, and don't let this moment pass without you making the most important decision you'll ever make, and that is to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you where you are to stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. At the close of that prayer, we'll sing, and the invitation will be open. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, if you need to come forward for baptism, maybe you want to join the church. Whether you're in the front, the back, or in the balcony, we want you to respond today. I'll be available up front. Our ministers are making their way to their places now. We will be ready for you. Let us pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to respond in obedience. God, we've been in your house. We've worshiped, we fellowshiped, we've heard your word, and now, God, you are convicting and you are calling. I pray, God, that we would respond according to the conviction that you've put in our heart. Lord, would you make us faithful ministers? But first, would you make us faithful through the blood of Jesus Christ? And so I pray, God, for those who are here that need to respond publicly, that they would step out, that they would step forward. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation is open.